0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orrico. You can find me on Twitter, at orrico 99 and also at Ethos Fantasy BB. We're still posting content over there. These podcasts are still going to be appearing on that feed every single weekday. Our Dynasty Baseball podcast, the Farmers Market Dynasty Baseball show with Andrew DeSegli, will still be coming out throughout the offseason. So you're still going to be getting content. I'm going to give the writers couple of weeks off, probably I'll give them the month of October off, and then November we will come back and start getting you guys ready for 2024. Also recapping 2023, but we are going to give the writers a little bit of time just to digest. You're still going to get podcasts. You're still going to get these six podcasts a week, five for me and then one from Andrew. Sometimes you'll get two from Andrew, uh, but there's still going to be content is the main point here at Ethos Fantasy BB and also at SportsEthos.com, not just for baseball, of course. Now people are kind of transitioning into the other sports, we have a ton of football and basketball and even hockey content. I know hockey's a little bit more niche, but for those of you out there who might be in the colder places in the world, for those of you who are north of the border like myself, Dallas, uh, Minnesota, there's, there's certain places. I mean, there's, you could be a hockey fan anywhere, really. Um, but we have hockey content. I know it's not the biggest draw in the fantasy world, but hell, Uh, If you are a fantasy person, make sure you are checking out sportsethos.com. And if you are listening to the show, I assume that you are a fan of fantasy sports. So go ahead and check out everything we got to offer over at the website. We are going to have a special guest on the show tomorrow. Want to let you guys know now before we really get into things. Our good friend Casey Bubba is going to be rejoining us. Haven't talked with Bubba since the preseason. It's been a hell of a long time. He was going to appear on our trade deadline show, and then he had to back out because of a family commitment, I believe. So the last time we talked with him was when we did our San Francisco Giants preview. I think that was the last time we had Bubba on, and that would have been before the season uh, with another friend of ours, Justin Mason, previewing the Giants for the 2023 season. Tomorrow, we're going to start to look back on 2023 as a whole. We're going to talk about stolen bases. Stolen bases from last year to this year jumped up a 40% rate. Uh, Went from 2,400 steals last year to 3,500 this year. We're going to talk about how to handle stolen bases going forward. We're going to talk starting pitcher strategy. It was kind of popular this year to wait on starting pitching a little bit. Don't go for your Garrett Coles and Corbin Burns and kind of wait until the fourth or fifth round. I'm going to talk to Bubba and see if that's something that he was into this year, what his strategy will be going forward. We're also going to talk about some closers. Closers were pretty chalky this year. If you drafted a high-up closer, if you went for the Romanos of the world, Felix Batista, I know, got hurt, but still, I mean, he gave you incredible value. Pretty much everybody. Like, there weren't really any closer busts. If you took Edwin Diaz or Liam Hendricks really early on, you probably didn't have the greatest luck in terms of saves. But for the most part, if you're drafting in March... You probably, if you were, you know, you know, took any combination of one or two closers in the first 120 picks, you probably did pretty well. So we're going to talk about closers. We're going to talk about what the strategy should be. Should we push them up? Should we push them down? Are they going in the right spot? And then finally, we're going to talk about some of the impact rookies. I don't know that there's been a year, certainly not in the last couple of years, that there's ever been this many rookies that have come up and had this much of an impact for fantasy baseball across the entire season. Every week we had incredible call-ups from the Yuri Perez's of the world to Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain, Tanner Bybee. I I could literally go on and on and on, and we will do that tomorrow. We're going to talk about how do we project these players going forward? We only have, for some of them, 30 innings pitched, 40 innings pitched, 250 at-bats. Dynasty is a whole different game, but for just for redraft for 2024, how are we going to be viewing these players who kind of came onto the scene? And we don't have a huge sample size. How are we going to project them? We're going to talk about all that tomorrow with Bubba. should be a lot of fun. Make sure you guys are subscribing if you haven't done so already. I know it's the offseason, not as much uh, viewership, listenership right now. But if you're somebody who just listens to the show because you find it on a random tweet one day, you see I retweeted or, so, or one of the guys at Sports Ethos does – Make sure you guys are subscribing. It does make it easier for you to find the show. It helps us to keep the numbers steady throughout the offseason, and then everybody wins. But let's get into the meat and potatoes for today. It's going to be a little bit different than what we usually do here, and it is the off season, so we are going to be mixing it up a little bit from time to time. Today will be one of those days. We're going to be saying goodbye to four legends of the game this season. Uh, I think it's pretty clear now that all four of these players, Joey Votto, Zach Grinky, Miguel Cabrera, and Adam Wainwright, are all going to be calling it quits there's maybe some chatter that Joey Votto might stick around I don't think any of these guys are and we're going to kind of just say goodbye to them here on the podcast we're going to talk about their careers a little bit talk about their achievements how well they have done in fantasy baseball and all the rest of that just to kind of say goodbye to these guys let's start off with Joey Votto I am a Canadian I am a sucker for an excellent Canadian baseball player and Joey Votto and I hail from the same hometown we're both from Etobicoke Toronto essentially for those of you who are not in the area. Um, It's pretty much just another part of Toronto, essentially. But Joey Votto and I, you know, he is, I think he's about 15 years older than I am, but we played on the same minor league teams. They had the same names, obviously different years, uh, different levels. But, you know, I wore the same jerseys that Joey Votto uh, wore growing up. So that was always something that drew me towards him. I was always a huge fan of him. And he is, I think going to go to the Hall of Fame pretty easily. I don't think there's too much of a doubt. I've heard some people chatter and say maybe he's not a Hall of Famer, but I don't really see how he falls short of being a Hall of Famer. These last couple of seasons have not been as Joey Votto-esque as we probably would have hoped for, but at the end of the day, you have to remember, he's 39 years old now. He's not some spring chicken at this point anymore. Actually, sorry, he just turned 40 last month. So, we had to kind of expect a decline these last couple of years. And even that, we're still getting a 294 career batting average, a 920 career OPS, 920 for the career. That is incredible. If you look at the peak seasons of Joey Votto, which I would argue started honestly pretty much right from his rookie season, he came in second in rookie of the year voting in 2008. And then he pretty much just hit the ground running from there. He hit 297 that year and then hit 300 in every full season that he played. Up until 2018, there was a season where he missed time with injury in 2014. He hit 255 over 62 games. We're not going to hold that against him. Looking at 356 homers, 1144 ribbies. Like I said, a 294 batting average, it should be higher, right? These last couple of seasons, you'll see this with a lot of players, Miguel Cabrera and everybody really who sticks around until they're 40. You're going to see their overall numbers, especially their rate stats decline. Yes, they're going to add some more volume, home runs, runs, RBIs. The batting average is going to decline a little bit, but even with the way that it has gone the last couple of years for Joey Votto, still being at 294 for the career is incredibly impressive. The thing that I'm going to remember, honestly, not the most, but the thing that stands out the most maybe is his resurgence in 2021 after we were all kind of had written him off. 2017, he came second in MVP voting, and he batted 320. He had over 1,000 OPS, 36 homers, 100 ribbies. He was ridiculous. Then in 2018, he kind of fell off, and I think a lot of people were expecting that to be the end of the Joey Votto that we knew and loved. He had 12 homers, 67 ribbies. He batted 284. He's still walking like a madman. Uh, you know, more walks than strikeouts even in 2018, but you could s- kind of see the writing on the wall that he was declining a little bit. The next couple of years generally kind of we thought proved that point to be true we saw 15 homers 47 ribbies over a full season in 2019 he played 142 games 15 homers 47 ribbies in a 261 average you look at the short season in 2020 he had 11 homers and 22 rbis which is not bad considering it was only 54 games but he batted 226 that's really not joey Votto esque we head to 2021 joey Votto. After being an afterthought, somebody that wasn't really picked in fantasy drafts from that year, from what I can remember, maybe a last round pick for some people, but not really somebody of note. Well, Joey Votto came back and hit 36 homers, drove in 99, got the batting average back up to 266, which isn't crazy, but considering he had been trending down the last couple of years before that, 2021 was a miracle season for Joey. Just giving you that one kind of swan song. I know that he's been around the last couple of years, but that was the fantasy swan song we got from Joey Votto. Overall, we are looking at one of the greatest players who's ever come out of Canada, one of the greatest Canadian baseball players of all time. Maybe one one of these off-season shows will rank the greatest Canadian baseball players. I'm sure we'll have all of six people tuning into that one, but he's right up there. He's right up there at the top. Six-time All-Star. He was the National League MVP in 2010, and he also won a gold glove in 2011. Definitely going to miss Joey Votto, assuming he is done, and I think he probably is. Maybe he sticks around as some kind of, like, Udonis Haslam kind of role, not to mix sports there, but I think those of you who follow basketball will probably get the reference. Somebody who just kind of sticks around at the end of the bench, doesn't really play. I don't know that they'd want to use a roster spot on him. Like, I I could see Joey wanting to stay around the team, but I think that might be more of an advisor slash kind of hitting coach role. He's going to be a hitting coach, I think. I think that's where he should go. Um, Just looking at how poised he was, how talented he always was at the dish, I think that there is wisdom he could definitely impart to younger hitters that would make them grow. Um, there's one point too. There's one kind of story. I forget when this was. When this became kind of a thing, I think it was probably in the mid 2010s somewhere. 20, you know, 13, 14. There was a story that Joey Votto had only fouled off two balls in his career to the pull side. He had only been early on. You know, fouled the ball off and was early on his swing twice in his first seven years of his career or something. And I thought this was ridiculous at the time. I thought it was not true. I can't find the article clip thing right now, but I I assure you it is true. For the first seven, I want to say seven years of Joey Votto's career, there were only two balls that he fouled off to the right side as a left-handed hitter. He was only early on two of those pitches. It's anecdotal to some degree. It's just a story, but it just goes to show you how excellent Joey was as a hitter. And even this year at age 40, he still had 14, 39-40 season. He had 14 home runs in 65 games. He's still got that power stroke. He doesn't have the average like he used to. So maybe he does try and stick around one more year. I'm going to treat this as though Joey Votto is gone. There's not really room for him in that Reds infield anymore is another point. Like if they were really starving for infielders, first baseman, whatever. Maybe he'd be more inclined to stick around. But that infield is pretty filled up with talent. I don't know that he's going to want to take away a spot. Because we saw it down the stretch. They generally still try to get him in the lineup. And he was taking away spots from, from younger guys, whether it was Strand or Marte or Steer or whoever. I don't know that Votto wants to do that, be somebody who is stopping a young guy from developing. So I think he does probably step away at the end of the season. But I do think we will be putting a Cooperstown jacket on the guy in five or six years' time. <clears throat> Maybe he doesn't get in on the first ballot. I think he probably should. Maybe some people will look at the 356 homers and say, that's not enough. I, I don't know what exactly the points will be of the detractors from Joey Votto. But from, from where I'm standing, I think he is a pretty clear Hall of Famer, even if it's not on the first ballot. Give him, at the worst case, two tries maybe. And and I think we will see him get in. Let's talk about the other hitter who we are saying goodbye to. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera put together one of the greatest seasons that we have ever seen in baseball history. There was a stat that was shared out by, I believe it was Eric Cross, or maybe it was somebody else that Eric retweeted. And Miguel Cabrera is one of only three players, I believe, in history with Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. It was a 500 home runs, a 300 batting average, and 3,000 hits maybe. there were, I, think, I think those were the... I think those were the borders there. It was 3,000 hits, 500 homers, and a 300 batting average. I believe it was him, Hank Aaron, and Willie Hayes. Willie Hayes, Willie Mays. Um, but regardless, here, if he's setting that particular benchmark or not, I might be getting the specific stats off. But Miguel Cabrera is going to retire with 511 homers, 1,880 ribbies, a 306 batting average, a 9.01 OPS. He's one of the greatest baseball players who has ever lived, Miguel Cabrera. There is no, you know, there might be some doubt about Votto first ballot, second ballot, third ballot. Miguel Cabrera is going to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. There's, there's no question here. I know there's been a couple of things in his personal life that haven't been exactly ideal. Uh, there was a couple of times where he was arrested for um, DUIs and stuff like that. I don't know if that's going to really put anybody off of putting him into the Hall of Fame here. There was also some like dispute with he had with his wife a few years ago or his ex-wife regarding their kids and something like that. That's pretty much it. I know that you know some people don't love Miguel Cabrera. I have heard those sentiments over the last couple of days. But, I mean, I don't see him having done anything that's that egregious to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. Considering his stats, his career output, is that of an inner circle Hall of Famer. He's not somebody who would sneak in on the 14th ballot like Miguel Cabrera is going to go down as one of the greatest hitters in baseball in baseball history. 12-time All-Star. He won a World Series as a rookie with the Marlins. He got very fortunate, honestly. Like He was a big part of that team, even as a 20-year-old. Or was he 20 or nine? I think he was maybe 19 for part of the season, then 20. It was right around the time when I first started following baseball. He was kind of fortunate to have that great season in year one. Because all the years that followed, he was never able to win another World Series. Uh, Those years with the Tigers where they really should have pulled away a couple. I think they lost in two World Series. He was never able to get back. So he does have a ring. It did come in his rookie season, but they all count the same. He was a two-time American League MVP. 2012, he won the American League Triple Crown. It was the first time it had been done in, I believe, 45, 50 years uh, by Carl Yastrzemski. He was the last one to do it before Miguel Cabrera seven-time silver slugger he won the Hank Aaron award twice which is given to the best actual hitter in each league four-time AL batting champion two-time AL home run leader and a two-time RBI leader as well I think he's generally considered to be the greatest Venezuelan baseball player of all time and yeah here it is so he's one of three players in history 300 average 500 homers and 3,000 hits if that's not the elite benchmarks then I don't know I don't know what is I think Miguel Cabrera has got to be considered at worst like a top 15 or 20 hitter of all time in his prime and similarly to Votto even though these last couple years haven't been great really 2016 2017 eh, probably 2017 is the last year you could look at and say he had a I mean not even really it was probably 2016 in all honesty was his last like really really excellent year since then it's kind of been downhill 2019 he batted 282 12 homers but even with the declining years, the declining stats these last few years, he's still going to retire with an average above 300, an OBP at 382, slugging at 518. And I believe, if memory serves, this one just popped into my head, he was able to hit a home run off of Spencer Strider this year. So, still able at his age, at 40 years old, to hit a home run off of who I believe is the best pitcher in baseball. Yes, Strider is able, uh, prone to sometimes giving up home runs, but still impressive regardless, uh, considering Miguel Cabrera's age. Just look at what he did when he first came up, right? I, I could go on and on about Cabrera because he was one of those first superstars. Like when I, when I started really following baseball in the mid-2000s, he was one of those emerging superstars. So I always hold a special place for him. But as a 20-year-old, he hit 268, 12 homers, 62 ribbies. He almost won Rookie of the Year. He came fifth in voting despite only playing half the season. And then in his age 21 year, 33 homers, 112 ribbies, in a two ninety four batting average. He realistically could have a few more MVPs on the shelf. He came fifth twice with the Marlins. He came fourth in 2009. He came second in 2010, fifth in 2011. We are looking at a closed book case of a first ballot Hall of Famer for Miguel Cabrera. I am going to miss him. I'm going to miss playing with him in video games. I'm going to miss the whole Miguel Cabrera experience. He was incredible. One of my favorite players, and it's gonna be sad to say goodbye to him, but that is the natural way uh that this kind of works in life. He is he is done now. We know for sure he is done. Where Votto there is kind of some gray area. Mickey did the whole goodbye tour. He got all those nice gifts, like that bottle of you know, eight dollar wine or whatever it was the athletics gave him. So he has a lot of nice uh mementos from his last season in major league baseball. I think that there's there's no question here, Mickey is done, but we enjoyed him while he was here. One of the greatest fantasy assets that we've seen in a long time even without stealing bases the most bases he ever stole in the season was nine in 2006 since then you're looking at two, one, three, four, five, five he stole six of them in 20 uh, 2009 but he was able to put together number one overall kind of fantasy seasons uh, early first round seasons at worst while never stealing bases and that's a very impressive thing to do especially in that kind of era in the early to mid 2000s people were stealing bases a lot more we saw the downturn kind of happened in the 2010s, and then we've seen it the last couple of years, specifically this year, pick up. But that was an era where people were stealing bases. You had Scott Pesedniks of the world and Jose Reyes stealing 70-plus bases. Like they, they were, it was not like it was a down era for steals, and that's why he was able to have great value just, you know, despite the lack of them. He was just that good in every other category. You're looking at 100 RBIs every year, 100 runs pretty much every year. Uh, he was absolutely electric, really going to miss having him around the game. Uh, one of my favorite players ever, Miguel Cabrera. Let's move on to Zach Grinke. Zach Grinke is kind of an interesting case for the Hall of Fame. Excuse me. I do think that he should get into the Hall of Fame. But you probably are looking at the career numbers as saying they're eh, a little bit high, maybe. A 3.49 ERA is on the higher side, but I think you kind of have to look at the peak years for Zach Grinke as well, not just look at the overall stats. If you're looking from 2008 2019 or so he was a top five pitcher in the game pretty much every season there was only one year in that span where he had an era over four excuse me two years two years where he had an era over four one of them was four one one of them was four three he was giving you double digit high double digit wins every year 15 17 19 i know that those are kind of random but still when a pitcher is able to do that every single year you kind of look at them and say okay maybe it's not so random when every year Grinke has 15, 17, 19, 13, 15, 18 wins. It was because he was able to be dominant and pitch to a 263, 271, 166 kind of ERA. It's 225 career wins, 300, uh, 349 career ERA. Like I said, is maybe a little bit high. But Zach Grinke is going to go down as one of the best pitchers of his generation. And I think, it's pretty, I think it's pretty much a lock that he's going to make it to the Hall of Fame. I don't think that he is a first ballot Hall of Famer because he does lack... Some of those flashier stats. He wasn't a huge strikeout pitcher ever, really. Career strikeout rate is 21%. Career walk rate is 7%. If you were just looking at that, you'd think that he was a pretty average pitcher. You know, He wasn't somebody who blew by you, especially in these recent years. He's been more of a place guy, uh, You know, locate your locations, uh, pinpoint the corners, hit the black kind of guy. Not somebody who's going to blow you away. By any stretch, and yet we're looking at a six-time All-Star, he was a Cy Young winner in 09 with Kansas City. Six gold gloves, two-time ERA leader in Major League Baseball. He did that in both leagues. He did it in the American League in 09, and then he did it in the National League in 2015. To top it all off, Zach Grinke is one of the best hitting pitchers that we have seen um, arguably ever. Zach Grinke, I'm just going to pull up his hitting stats here, but you know, I think he was probably a better hitter than Joey Gallo. <laughs> like, I think it's yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm being exact. Eh, maybe not though. Honestly, he was a two twenty-five career hitter. That's not bad at all. He hit nine career home runs. He stole nine bases. That's pretty all right. There was a season where Zach Grinky hit three home runs as a pitcher. Another season where he hit two, three stolen bases here, two stolen bases there. Like he was a productive player. Uh, you know, in terms of his bat, even he wasn't somebody that was just relied upon as an elite, ace Cy Young pitcher. He could also go in there and pinch hit for you if you really needed it. Nine home runs for a pitcher across 600 plate appearances. That's pretty damn impressive. There are some major league players, cough, cough, Tim Anderson, who can't even meet that kind of rate in today's game. So you got to look at what Grinke did as a whole and say, yeah, he was one of the best pitchers of his era. He did eclipse that 200 win total, which is being more moved. We'll get to that more in a second uh, with Wainwright. That's being moved more as the benchmark as opposed to 300 victories. 300 victories is just not realistic anymore. Uh, We're not going to see it happen because pitchers don't go as deep into games, therefore securing more victories for themselves. That is definitely a big part of it. You used to see pitchers win 25 games, and it's because they would throw eight or nine innings every single game. So if the team won, they won. Now you have so much variance in terms of bullpens, in terms of if the guy's going to blow it. There's so many different variables. We're never seeing people get the 300 wins again. Like Garrett Cole is arguably the most consistent pitcher every year when it comes to wins 15, 13, 16, 20, 15, 12, 19. Like he's always pretty much in those double digits. And it's usually, you know, between 13 and 17 kind of range. It's not usually, you know, 10, 11 wins. Garrett Cole is at this point in his career, is he 33 yet? He just turned 33 years old. Garrett Cole is not even halfway there to 300 wins. He's got 145. So I think we have to look at these benchmarks and these pitchers who did hit 200 and even those like Karinke who hit two and a quarter and say that is about as good as you are going to find for this era. You're not going to see those 300 wins. That used to be the benchmark, right? There's those those numbers that I grew up hearing about and we all grew up hearing about. you got to get to 3,000 strikeouts. you got to get to 500 home runs. There are these certain numbers Maybe 500 home runs is still kind of a benchmark, but in terms of the strikeouts for pitchers, in terms of wins, we have to change the way that we view them in terms of all-time context. We have to look at them specifically in their era, but also if we're putting them in the Hall of Fame conversation, say, yeah, you can't compare him to Cy Young winning 500 games because it was obviously a very different era. I don't think anybody's comparing Zach Grinke to Cy Young directly, but that's generally I'm exaggerating to prove my point. These win totals are not going to be as gaudy as they used to be, so we should look at 225 and say, that's pretty damn impressive. Specifically, these last two years in Kansas, only getting six of them. Pretty much looking at the same total, even if he retired two years earlier. I'm a big, grinky guy. I was, I've always liked his antics and his little quirky behavior. I know that he's not for everybody, but I think that he is one of the funnier people, one of the funnier athletes that we have had over the last 20 years. He is just one of those oddball characters that the game is going to miss. I'm very interested to see what a Hall of Fame speech looks like from him. In fact, this whole class could be pretty interesting uh, up on the podium if they all go in together. And I think there's a chance that they do all go in together. Who knows? But if they all go in on the first ballot, they all retire this year, it would be a pretty sweet Hall of Fame class. Cabrera, Votto, Grinky, and the guy we're going to get to in a second, Adam Wainwright, I've heard of a lot worse Hall of Fame classes. Wainwright's probably a bit of a borderline case, and why don't we get to him right now? He is the last guy that we are saying goodbye to. Another absolute character. Uh, there was a game, I don't even know, it was an opening day, it might have been opening day where Wainwright sang the national anthem or something. Just quirkiness, pinch hitting uh, over these last week or so. I think he's had a couple of pinch hit appearances just to kind of say goodbye to the St. Louis crowd. Uh, he's, just a, he's just a character, right? You don't see that with a ton of pitchers at the end of their career going out there and taking a couple of hacks, uh, you know, going out there and smiling for the crowd. I guess St. Louis knew that they had nothing to play for, so they figured they might as well. But Adam Wainwright uh, is just an absolute character. He hit the 200-win mark after a grueling season. If you played against him in DFS this year, you probably listen to this on your boat that you bought with the earnings because he was just an auto-play. If you saw Adam Wainwright was pitching, you stacked the other team's offense. You, even if you were just playing season-long fantasy and you see Wainwright's on the mound tonight, pick up a couple of guys in the other team's lineup if you're in a daily league, you probably did pretty well. That being said, we're still looking at a 3-5 ERA with 200 wins. Pretty similar overall output in terms of stats to Zach Grinke. ERA is about the same. Wins are a bit fewer, uh, a few less, I should say. And I think people will kind of, they'll do this with everybody who sticks around maybe a little too long. You almost forget how good they were when they were at their peak. There was a five-year stretch between 2009 and 2014, five-season stretch for Wainwright. He missed the 2011 season where he was top three in Cy Young voting four times in five years. Third, second, second, and third. 2009, 2010, 2012, 2013. Or excuse me, 2009, 10, 13, and 14. He was top three Cy Young voting every single year. Like, there was a lot that Adam Wainwright was putting out on the mound. I know he was kind of overshadowed a little bit at first by Chris Carpenter, and then he got hurt. And I don't think he was ever, like, the best pitcher in baseball, but he was really right up there. Won a World Series in '06. Now he was technically awarded a ring in 2011, even though he didn't pitch because he was still like on the team. He does have a 2011 World Series ring. He's not technically counted if you look at the roster, but he is. You know, I, I think it's fair to consider Wainwright a two-time World Series champion. He was a part of that Cardinals team since 2005. If he was there, you got to figure okay, they're probably still winning the World Series. They're probably not going to be hurt by Adam Wainwright in his absolute prime. <laughs> that was the year that he missed sandwich between those two uh, second and third place Cy Young finishes in either side of that season. So he would have won another World Series had he been there. He would have contributed to that. You have to assume. Uh, he won a silver slugger, two gold gloves, the Roberto Clemente Award, and he did lead the National League twice in wins, three-time All-Star as well. And he won a silver on the World Baseball Classic team this season. It's actually interesting. I didn't realize, but he was signed by the Atlanta Braves originally, into, uh, Excuse me, selected by them in the first round, signed, and then he was one of their top pitching prospects. After the 2003 season, he was traded to the Cardinals, and here's a throwback name for J.D. Drew. I don't know how many of you guys remember J.D. Drew. He was a pretty decent player back in the late 90s, 2000s. Good power hitter, played for the Dodgers, the Sox, the Cardinals. Spent a year in Atlanta. Really good player. That's how long Wainwright has been around for. He was really drafted in the year 2000, 23 years ago. He's 42 years old now. We know for sure that Waino is done. We've seen the changing of the guard in St. Louis the last couple years. Pujols coming back and retiring. Yadier Molina retiring. And now Adam Wainwright retiring as well. I think that he's pretty close in terms of the Hall of Fame. I don't know that he's a lock. And in terms of the four guys we talked about today, he is the least deserving in terms of the Hall of Fame resume. You're still looking at a champion. You're still looking at a guy who, you know, in any given year there in the late 2000s, early 2010s, could have won Cy Youngs and arguably should have in a couple of those seasons. You come second in voting, It's really a toss-up as to what the voters are going to look at that year. You come third another couple times in that same span, you got to think, okay, this guy's a top-five pitcher. And he was a top-five pitcher. Not that he was probably ever the best pitcher in baseball but he was top five pretty easily for me during that span of the late 2000s, early 2010s. Getting the 200 wins probably will help him with some voters. I don't think it really should matter, but that actual benchmark of the 200 number will probably play favorably for him once it gets time to him, uh, for him to actually get on the ballot. So if I had to vote one way or the other... I don't think he's a first ballot guy necessarily. It might be nice if he does get in just so that all these guys could go in together. I don't think he'll get there on the first try. I think Wayno, if he does get in, is probably more of a fifth or sixth ballot type of guy just because of the way that the voters typically do things. You look at Larry Walker. Who had a very, very, very deserving Hall of Fame career. It took him until the very last time on the ballot. I can't remember off the top of my head now if it's 10 years on the ballot or 15. I think it's 10. I think they sure did. It. it used to be 15, I think. Oh, I might be mixing up my facts there. But sometimes they make people wait, and sometimes they make people who are deserving wait. So just because I think that he will probably have to hold on the ballot for a couple of years, it doesn't mean that I think that his case is really that much less deserving. He is a lesser Hall of Famer, but I do think that they will just make him wait a little bit just because of the nature of his stats being probably not as good as some of the other guys that are going to be going in uh, over the next couple of years. But I still think that what he has done, if you told me right now, yeah, no, he's going to the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm not going to put up an argument for it. He's had an incredible career. As have all four of these guys, and I really just wanted to say thank you to all of them. Not that they'll ever hear this, but these guys were some of the most fun players to watch over the last 20 years, and I really wanted to give them a shout-out from a fantasy point of view, from a real-life point of view. These guys were definitely, if you've been playing fantasy baseball for the time these guys are playing, odds are that they helped you to a championship or to some very good seasons uh, in the process. So thank you to these guys. Thank you to all of you who are sticking around and listening here to the end of a non-fantasy show called Fantasy MLB today. We're not doing fantasy right this particular second. We didn't do it today. But we'll be back doing fantasy baseball tomorrow. Our good friend Casey Bubba, like I said off the top, we're going to be looking back on 2023 as a whole, looking at some trends, looking at some things that happened, seeing what we believe, what we don't believe, heading into 2024, how our strategies will change. It will be the first review show of the season. We'll do a few, and then we'll eventually start and flipping uh, and looking forward for 2024. But that'll do it. You guys can reach out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Also at EthosFantasyBB. We're still putting out content over there. Make sure you guys continue to follow. If you're not somebody who uses social media, sportsethos.com is the place for you guys to be checking out. Tune in tomorrow, guys. It's going to be late afternoon with Casey Bubba, Entric over on Twitter. Make sure you guys are following him. Make sure you're following me. Until tomorrow, have a great day and enjoy some playoff baseball. Until then, cheers, everybody. Take care.